Today's video is brought to you by StoryboardThat.com. Please visit TeacherCast.net slash StoryboardThat for a limited time offer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Educator Podcast. You are listening to the best weekly webinar that educational world has to offer for 71 amazing episodes. This is the podcast that brings you the best in educational technology live each and every week from leading technology educators. I'm thrilled today that you've decided to make the Tech Educator Podcast and TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting your home for professional development. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and if this is the first time you're listening to the show, thank you so much for joining us. We have a great show for you. Of course, there's several ways that you can reach out and participate in our show each and every week. You can leave us a voicemail at teachercast.net slash voicemail. You can send us a, some, an email at feedback at teachercast.net. You can follow us on Twitter at TechEdShow. And of course, you can subscribe to all of our video channels and archives over at teachercast.net slash iTunes and teachercast.net slash YouTube. On today's show, we're going to be talking about coding. It's the second of our fantastic coding shows. Of course, all of our archives can be found over at teachercast.net, where we have spent the weekend putting up an amazing online course on app development and coding with our friends over at AppShed. And if you haven't checked that AppShed.com yet, it is a great place to uh, create amazing apps with your students and also get your school apps published online. Of course, all of our archives are on techeducatorpodcast.com where you can check out our audio and video. And right here on TeacherCast University, you can see our new online course over here on AppShed. So thank you guys so much for taking the time out of your day to be with us. We have a great show. I want to turn the show over right now to our co-host sister, Sam Patterson. Sam, how are things today? How are you? I'm doing really well. I had a very exciting weekend. I got to spend yesterday at Fall Q at American Canyon High School with, I think it was 1,400 awesome educators, and I presented for two hours about programming in primary, and we got to do a lot of fun things. I was co-presenting with Vicki Sedgwick. She is at Visions by Vicki online, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> it was an amazing session because we talked a little bit and we played a whole lot. We got all of the, the teachers up and working with Spheros, and I'll be talking a little bit later in the show about how these little spherical robots can transform coding in your classroom. And as a special feature, for the next two weeks, we're actually running a Sphero giveaway on mypaperlessclassroom.com. We'll be giving away a 10-pack of these little robots. So, and what do those robots do, Sam? These robots, they, they move. They go, they go in directions. <laughs> And wait, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? Them. What do you mean by move? They, they the move by themselves as though they are robotic, and like, you can like program wildly, them. wildly move back and forth. Occasionally, you can program them to move wildly or mildly. It's up to you as the programmer. You can make them jump. You can make them dance. There may even be the ability to have them twerk. Twerking is nice. Cool. <laughs> All the kids like the twerking. Studies of first graders prove that all the kids <laughs> like the twerking. Also but on our program, today... also on our program today, I want to bring on Mr. Jeff Herb. Jeff, how are you today? <laughs> As we segue away from that, uh, doing very well, Jeff. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I noticed that your team, the Chicago Bears, did uh, interesting today. Mighty, mighty fine work today by our Bears. <laughs> no, friggin' train wreck. What's going on with the t with the uh, instructional tech talk today? Uh, instructional Tech Talk, doing very well uh, this past week. We are actually, after this last week's show, um, we did a, a feature of Codable on my new show, EdTech You Should Know. That'll be releasing at midnight this evening. Um, additionally, we uh, Sam and I did an episode this past week about smart pens in the classroom, and we talked about a couple of the LiveScribe pens and the Equal 2 
uh, and that's live on the website as well. Excellent. Also want to bring on David Saunders. David, how are you today? I'm doing really, really well. I actually watched the Patriots and the Bears play today, and it went in our favor. I will say... I was going to say, uh, what, believing... what, what happened in that game? Did, did the Patriots win, Jeff? So, uh, yeah, that would be <laughs> suffice to say they won. Um, but I can't even be that upset about it because I have Gronk on my fantasy team. So. Ah, <laughs> and does Gronk... He does, did okay today. Does, I, I need to know, is, is Gronk into robotics? Does he have... Uh, what is that? What, what are they called? My guess is that he's partially robotic based on some of the stuff I saw. So Nice. That, that stiff arm that he gave uh, for that oh, touchdown that was, 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 pretty, awesome. was pretty epic. Nice. That was good. That was good. Josh, I want to bring you on here. And I have to say thank you out here to Josh. A few weeks ago, we did a big show on Google add-ons and Chrome extensions, you might remember. And Josh talked to us all about a great extension called Read Write. And we just before recording this show had read right on the teacher cast program. And I'm going to be dropping that on Tuesday. And so definitely check that out. Josh, uh, how are you? And again, thank you so much for getting us hooked up with the great people over at text help. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what I did, uh, but that's great. If, if for whatever reason, bringing them up somehow in that podcast helped um, us out here at, or you out at teacher cast. So that's great. Um, things are going well. Just had a, Northeast Wisconsin Google Educator Group get together on Saturday, um, which was a lot of fun. We tried to connect three different locations via Google Hangout, and we also got to talk to Jordan Pedraza over at Google mm. and got some juicy details about some upcoming updates. So I'm pretty fired up right now about, about some things that could be happening in the near future with Googly stuff. That nice. you can or cannot talk about right now on the Tech Educator podcast? Well, I'm sure that things that she mentioned I can talk about because otherwise she couldn't have mentioned them. Nice. Um, Here's the, here was the most exciting thing for me. She did mention that Google Sites is getting love, and we can expect some big things with that next yes. year. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And uh, that is awesome because we've already put in all of our ISTE presentations and proposals. <laughs> So I want to say thank you out there to everybody who's watching. Of course, we are live here every single Sunday at 7 o'clock. We have a live chat going on right now, and it is pretty, pretty impressive. I want to give a big uh, shout-out to Peggy and uh, Miss Jen, and Anne is here, and, and Shelly. We have a lot of people chatting back and forth all about our topic today of coding. Sam, why don't you share with us a little bit about what we're doing today, and why don't you introduce our guest? Will do. So today we're continuing our conversation. Last week we focused on coding in the primary grades. We're going to continue talking about coding today at a number of grade levels using a number of different platforms. And joining us today is one of my favorite experts on coding and the common core, Miss Tara Linney. Tara, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you guys? <laughs> we're doing well. Now... I thought that we could start today by doing a little panel discussion and drawing on all of the mad knowledge in the room about coding. Could you start off by telling us why you feel programming is important and deserves a place in the curriculum? Um, yes. So I think that it's important because it gets students ready for jobs that don't exist yet and for like a whole world that doesn't exist quite yet. Um, not just that, but coding is like, it's a language. So when you learn a language, the sooner that you learn it, the more likely you are to continue it as you grow up. Um, so I think that coding is essential, um, and it's something that we should be teaching in schools just like the UK is currently. Now, the, the idea of coding being a language, I've actually seen some argument that programming should count as a foreign language, and I can remember when I was in high school, I actually took four years of German in order to make sure that I had my foreign language requirement taken care of and that I wouldn't have to take it in college. And that hasn't been that useful to me. Jeff Herb, what do you think about the idea of coding being like a, as coding as a full-on language? Well, I, I think it absolutely is. I think more and more People are expected to learn coding in order to be successful, especially in the technical jobs that people are getting into. And so um, I absolutely feel like it is a language that as you leave high school or as you leave whatever grade level you're in, if you've been versed in coding, you're now bilingual. I think we mentioned that at the last, uh, in the last episode of this show. So I definitely think that it can be utilized as a second language that kids acquire throughout their schooling. 
Now, that's, that idea of coding as a second language, I think, is really important. And it might be a more useful second language than my German, although I did use it the other day because I was teaching my second graders how to use Siri to divide. And one of the kids was like, it's not working. And I picked up her iPad, and I looked at it, and I could tell that it said, I don't understand what you're saying, but it was written in German. I was like, oh, Siri thinks we're German. That's no problem at all. Josh, what do you think about coding as a language in and of itself? You know, I've, I've always thought I would be a proponent of that. Um, I, I think any way to get it to become more legitimate and taken more seriously in the K-12 context is worth going and, and worth going down that route. When you look at calling it a separate language, think about what it means to learn a different language. It allows you to interact um, in different environments. Um, it might open up job opportunities. Um, and it, it definitely creates more synapses and, and more of those connections in your brain. And that's what programming does. However, kind of like math, programming is almost a, a more universal type language where, yeah, there's a lot of different programming languages, but somebody over in you know, France is probably writing the same one of those programming languages that we use here in the US. So um, I, I just think anything that we can do that can be done to get coding to become something that is taken serious and that people can say, hey, um, this, is, this is valuable, whether it's a second language or whether it's a math elective or whether it counts towards graduation. Um, I think they're all correct in a way and all something that we can use to market what coding offers. It's interesting because if you think about it that way, then, you know, my school offered Spanish, French, and German. So would we then need to offer, like, Java, Pascal, C++, Visual Basic? David, I know that you work with some students on coding. What do you think the approach to take is here? Should we think of it as a language? I'm almost of the opinion that we should just think of it as another mode of expression, like writing or taking pictures or creating a presentation. Yeah, I think I more lean in that direction. I think, at least in my experience, uh, some of the world language instruction that we have in school is largely uh, a vehicle for also learning about other cultures. Um, and so we would have to think about what's the, what's the objective in our world language instruction, and do those objectives sort of overlap with whatever objectives we would establish for a coding curriculum? And I think we would see that, yeah, there, there is some overlap, there are areas where they're, they're probably different, and so I think I would agree with you in that it's it's much more of, I think, ultimately a, as you say, a mode of expression, a way for them to create and to be creators of, of new things. I like how in my work as a tech integration specialist, coding can fit in in so many different ways. Um, for example, I might have some students using code to draw geometric patterns and explore the properties of polygons, and I have other kids using an online uh, coding tool like Tinker to create a presentation about what they know, what they've learned in science. Uh, yet another group might be using coding to retell a story from language arts. Now, Tara, I know that you've looked at a couple of different coding platforms really closely and done some work aligning them with Common Core standards. Can you take us through a bit of a tour of where coding fits into the Common Core? Um, so people will say that coding is more of a math. Um, but I beg to differ because if you look at the specifically the ELA standards uh, for Common Core, then there are a lot of things that require you to um, read information, to write information, to write steps of a process. Um, so coding is really something that hits those standards. Um, for sixth through eighth grade, there's a writing literacy standard that's writing um, in informative or explanatory texts. So um, students are expected to write a step-by-step -step procedure to accomplish the desired goal, which if you think about it is what iteration is, and iteration is a part of coding. Um, same thing with um, the reading information part. So they're supposed to follow a multi-step procedure. Well, that's what coding is. It's a multi-step procedure. If you don't get it right the first time, then you have to try again. Um, in addition, on the math side of things, there's a universal in Common Core Math, a um, standard called, excuse me, mathematical procedures, um, where students have to persevere to solve a problem until they get to the desired result. 
So that right there tells you that coding fits in both um, ELA and in math and can easily be integrated throughout both. You know, that word persevere, I think, is really important because I'm not sure, I'm not as familiar with the Common Core Standards, but the kindergartners I work with, I notice, learn problem-solving, resilience, and perseverance through programming in a way that their teachers may not have seen them do before. Uh, what's your experience with that? So um, I was working with a class actually on Friday, and we were just going through basic tutorials on code.org for the first time. And um, there was a student who just didn't get it. And he sat there, and he's like, I don't get this. Like, look at it closely. And what's really great about coding is that students have those aha moments that they normally get in education, but sometimes it'll take a whole semester to get to one. <laughs> um, when you introduce coding, you get a room of, oh, yeah, I get it. And it's great. And it creates this community of students who are learning from each other, and it makes it so that they're the expert in the room, so that they have that confidence. David, have you seen students learning from each other in a situation like that? I have, absolutely. I was going to jump in real quick to just talk a bit about what Tara's point was. I think as educators, we know the importance of timely feedback. And students who are working within a programming uh, program or coding program uh, are getting immediate feedback. It either works or it doesn't. And they can take that feedback instantly and start analyzing where it is that they may have made an error. Whereas in the traditional classroom, they might submit a paper or a test and not get it back for a week. Um, and I feel like that's wasted time where that feedback could really be helping to instruct our instruction, but also to sort of uh, give them guidance on where it is that they could improve. Um, but yeah, we've been working uh, this year uh, with our coding club, which is a little bit different, um, and it's a completely flipped model. I'll get into it in a little bit. Um, but yes, I absolutely have seen students come into the library during their free periods or study halls and sit together in pairs and work together. So even though it's not being uh, dictated that that's the, the form they need to take, they're choosing that and are helping each other to get through various uh, elements of the coding curriculum, which has been fantastic. I had my younger students coding in pairs, doing some paired programming, and then the next time I came in, um, the, uh, the I gave them each their own iPad, and their first question was, can we still work together? I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, you can. You know, I in the chat, I mentioned, you know, we were talking about perseverance, and I think it was Shelley said that... Um, the kids do persevere a lot, and I comment, yes, they do, until they cry. And you know, there, there are points where it gets to be too much, and they kind of cry a little bit. And that's I've kind of taken that as just part of how part of the process, where you've got a really high engagement tool, and I try to structure it so it's kind of a high challenge environment. And sometimes the communication breaks down. Sometimes. They just, you know, get bad at sharing. Sometimes they just really want their turn right then. But, yeah, with the kindergartners and the first graders and sometimes the second graders, you know, one person gets a good idea at the same time another person gets a good idea, and suddenly it looks like, you know, WW, what are they, F now, E? E. 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 Yes. Connecticut. <laughs> um, Tara, if you were ta when you talk to teachers about coding and they want to know kind of how this fits into the greater pedagogical mission that teachers are expected to uphold, what what do you leave them with? What is your main message? Um, so my main message is that if they want, one thing that I've noticed in um, just teaching students how to code is that the ones who don't do well in academics, do really, really well in coding. So I, I'm always sure to like let teachers know that your low-performing students are the ones that just don't have that motivation, or even the really high ones that just aren't challenged by what you're doing in the classroom anymore. Those are the ones who tend to excel in coding more than your regular students, if you will. Um, so 
basically like I encourage teachers to see like the difference in their class and being more independent, interdependent, and creative when they practice coding. And it'll like turn the brain on if it's not already on for what they normally do in academics. Definitely. And with all of this, I think that the challenge becomes, okay, great. Now I want to do something else in my class. It turns out that I, I was busy already. I've got this calendar. It's got this many days on it. I've got these standards. And I need to figure out how to wedge in something brand new that I may not necessarily know how to do that I haven't experienced before. And I know that we each have different levels of experience with this. And David, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your context and the tools and strategies you used to bring coding to that school. Sure. Um, you know, so I work, I'm the upper school library media specialist at an independent school in Connecticut. And we, in the lower school, have uh, computer classes where students are doing things like robotics and scratch. In the middle school, uh, they're continuing their work in scratch uh, and they have a robotics club. But then when you got to the upper school, which is grades 7, 8, and 9, uh, no program existed for them. And as I dug a little bit deeper, it's my second year doing this, um, you know, I sort of came up against a couple of probably pretty traditional constraints, and that is, uh, one, there was no time in the schedule. This is a very, uh, I would say, overscheduled group of students. And uh, so they didn't have a lot of flexibility within the, the day schedule. Uh, and then there wasn't a lot of uh, understanding or buy-in from faculty as to why this would be something uh, that would be worth pursuing. And so meeting with the tech director, meeting with our head of upper school, and meeting with student uh, sort of advisory panel, uh, we tried to problem solve this in a way that worked for everybody. And what we ended up doing is coming up with uh, a flipped coding club. It's completely voluntary. It's something that uh, I pitched pretty heavily at the beginning of the year with, um, with our blog and with uh, sort of consistent emails and Monday morning meetings and being at... Um, sort of being available in certain places with flyers and things like that. Um, and I, over the summer, went through and sort of evaluated several of the programs uh, that are out there for self-paced, individualized learning to program, uh, such as, uh, you know, uh, Code School, uh, Code HS. And uh, we came up with uh, a partnership with a company called Treehouse. And, you know, I'm not... I'm not being paid by Treehouse, uh, so I'm just going to tell you how it is. Uh, we, we liked them very much. We liked their interface. We liked their feedback. We liked how they structured things. Um, and so I did a trial of it uh, the, the latter half of last school year, and then over the summer I ran through several of the tracks that they have, and so you can choose you know, web development, um, app development, iOS development, Android development, WordPress development, Ruby on Rails. I mean, they have a whole bunch of tracks um, that you can go through. And so I ran through several of those over the last several months and felt like it was age-appropriate, it was user-friendly, uh, and I felt comfortable offering it up to our students. And so what we did was uh, started this club uh, about a month ago, and um, I had about 25 students enroll. I had a bunch of faculty enroll who uh, initially were pretty hesitant and are now sort of helping me to lead this club. Um, we have uh, evening events uh, in the library for programming uh, so students can come in. So if they don't have time during the school day to come in, they don't have free periods, they don't have study halls that they can uh, use, they can come in. We have some sort of open hours for them to come in and we help them out with whatever questions that they might have. Treehouse has a, a really robust and pretty helpful forum where people can you know, pose their questions, paste in their code, and say, I don't understand why this isn't working, and, you know, pretty instantly get some feedback on it, which I found really helpful as well. So can I can I give a quick screen share of what Treehouse looks like? Sure, that'd be great. All right. I was going to ask you more questions about it anyway, so that would be all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, let me go here. Oh, double Sam. Nice. <laughs> do you see do you see my screen now or do you see Sam? I do. All right, perfect. Um, and so here's the um, here's the track. So Treehouse works uh, with 
you can you can sign up, you can enroll in these tracks. It will take you from absolute beginner, and they're project based. Uh, so it'll work you through how to you know create your first website. So it'll talk about you know basic HTML, CSS, some some opening JavaScript. Uh, we'll also talk about design aesthetics, and but also hosting domains uh, and you know how to get your site up and running pretty quickly. Um, but you could also you know you could choose if you didn't if you weren't interested in building a website, you wanted to do some more backend stuff. There's Rails development. Android, PHP. So at any point when I'm a student in Treehouse, I can choose any one of these tracks. And once I open one up, so I'll open up my iOS one. And this is uh, Objective-C. They also have a Swift track now uh, as Apple and iOS are moving away from, or not moving away from, but now they've introduced uh, Swift as their programming language. And you can see uh, that it is uh, sort of these tiered uh, tracks where I will complete um, my first section of it, and within that, you know, so I get the, you know, take my courses, my objective, and once I complete this, uh, I can unlock the next section of it. So you can see here's a little padlock, right? So by passing it, it means uh, not only have I watched the videos, I've also taken ch coding challenges along mm. the way. So I can see there's, there's zero out of seven. So there are seven videos, and there'll be seven challenges. And once I meet those challenges successfully, then it unlocks the next one. I can move on to the next piece of it. Um, so it's been really nice uh, in terms of the way that we're hoping to flip this entire club is that they can sort of self-pace and work as they want to. But, but the really great thing I have found, because I don't want to be totally absent from this process, um, I'm not being afforded class time with students for this, so I need to find a way to, to manage them uh, you know, outside of the classroom. Um, Treehouse will give me a dashboard with all my students and all of their activity. So I can see right now I have 19 students because we had students who signed up initially uh, who after about a week or two realized they didn't really have the time or they took a couple of videos and realized eh, it really wasn't what they were looking for. And so we've had a little bit of attrition here. Um, and so now we're down to 19 students, but I can see what each one has done over over the last month or so. We've, we've accumulated over 1,000 points. 21 quizzes have been passed. And this allows me to go through and sort of check in on individual students. If I see they haven't logged in in a while, I can send them an email. I can ask them to stop by the library. And we can sort of chat about, is this a good time for them to be in the club? If it's not, is there any way that I can support them? We need to sort of make a small study group to help them do that. And so this, this model uh, is a pilot for us. I think hopefully it will be successful enough that I'll be able to take this to the admin mid-year and say, look, we have enough interest. We have enough uh, sort of um, we have enough of an infrastructure already in place that this could be something that takes place during the school day, um, and so I, I really am hoping that this moves into something that isn't just flip but maybe more of a blended model, um, if if at all possible. Now I think that Treehouse is a really great example of a platform that is smarter than you are, and oftentimes <laughs> when I'm talking to teachers. I talk about you know how we need to find platforms that are smarter than we are. Otherwise, what our kids can learn is going to be limited by what we know. And last year, when I started teaching coding, I said, okay, I will study coding before my kids get to it, and then I'll just stay ahead of them. Mm. That does yeah. not work. It <laughs> takes me three weeks to learn what it takes them 20 minutes to burn through and then they have questions that I couldn't anticipate. And that's important. I need to support them having questions that I can't anticipate. I need to support them learning things that I don't know because they do need to be better at this than I do because I have a job teaching and they're going to need to do coding when for their jobs. I mean, and right. just, you know, as far as logical development, right? Um, the ship has sailed on this machine. And it's not just you learning the content, it's also learning the content and then reflecting on how you can then turn around and teach that. And that takes that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot right. of time and reflection. You have to understand something completely and you have to be the expert. And I think a lot of coding instruction is about finding ways to capitalize on decentralized expertise. So whether it's teaching your kids how to find the answer they're looking for on YouTube, finding a platform like Treehouse or Code.org, or Tinker that has that support built in. What were you saying, Tara? Khan Academy. 
Khan Academy is another good example. I understand that Khan Academy actually has like fully interactive videos now that they're starting to roll out, which sounds really exciting. Um, Josh, what do you have any other resources? Oh, absolutely. You know, I just wanted to piggyback for a second off of what you were saying. I think that there's also some secondary benefits too, besides the coding side of things, uh, when it comes to you know, going into coding with students and not really knowing everything that they're going to be going into, because then you can model what it's like as, as a teacher approaching new content or, or new skills that you don't quite know how to do. And you can model how you go about problem solving. You can model how to react to that. And there's a lot of great things that in, in school when you see teachers as the content experts who are always right and know no wrong, I, I think it gives a a wrong impression of, of what it means to be a learner and, and a teacher. So that's why I really like um, kind of being on your toes just like the students. And it's kind of an adrenaline rush and you learn a lot along the way that way. Um, so great share on Treehouse, David. I know, I've seen them before, but I hadn't really looked into it that much, so I didn't realize how much was there, but that was really cool. So you do get, I think, I think there's a 30-day free trial, Josh, if you're interested. I, I, I'm going to have to take a look at that. Um, so, now, so speak, oh, go ahead. I, I think that it's important that you know we really emphasize the fact that teaching coding, especially when you weren't trained as a computer science major, is challenging for teachers and does ask them to operate in a way they are not familiar with. And I think that's something you really have to honor, but there is a lot of support out there. Um, code.org last year for the Hour of Code, there were a bunch of tutorials that came out. It seems like every day now there's another one coming out. Uh, Code.org has their own K-5 curriculum now. They just launched an Indiegogo campaign where they're hoping to raise $5 million to bring coding to something like 10 million students. Uh, so it's a very exciting time with a wide variety of tools. Now, Josh, I know that you have another tool that you're going to show us for getting kids in, engaged in computational thinking. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, especially for for getting teachers started on this and and trying to get them to incorporate something, um, this is this is a one tool that I've used in a lot of different contexts, not just coding classes. Um, and it's called Lightbot. So I'm sure some of you have heard about Lightbot before. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen now. Um, but it's it's one of my favorites just because it's it's simple, it's a game, but it also gets at that programmatic thinking. Um, so it is an app that you can get, and um, it does cost a little bit of money. Was it like four bucks? I haven't looked at it lately. Um, but I've just used the free online version because it's got enough to do one class period. It's a great introduction. Um, and, and teaches some of those basics, but in a fun way. So I'm out at just lightbot.com, and you go out and you click on the web version. It's going to load up a little bit. It's going to make noise now, but hopefully just in my headphones. Um, so I can hear the music, but you cannot. So you click play, and you get started. There's a couple different levels, basics, procedures, and loops, uh, which uh, gets at some of the really the most fundamental things about programming that are out there. Um, but the interface is really simple for the most part. You have this little guy. Ah, thanks. There's some directions along the way as you go through uh, that tell you what the different things do. And once you get through that, then you basically have to get this little guy to light up all the blue squares. And you have to put in all the instructions at once. You have to test it all out to see how it's going to work um, to make sure that he lights up that little blue square. So as you go through, this gets increasingly more complex. Um, you really don't get many more tools than this, at least in the free version. But there is that looping level where then you have to figure out how to combine some of these things and reuse them over and over again. Um, so it, it can be a lot of fun in a, in a classroom format. Did I get it? Yay! Yay! <laughs> and the, uh, the level of complexity on that gets pretty deep pretty quick because there are procedures which mm -hmm. are groups of repeated code, and you can even nest a procedure inside of a procedure. Yes, it gets crazy. I don't know if I can, if I can show that without having passed them yet, but yeah, when you get to the procedure levels... You're doing great. 
<laughs> yeah. These are these are really important instructions. I've just seen them before, so I kind of know what's going on. Uh, but basically, when you get to this point, you've got this section, two sections. I got your main code, and then you've got your procedure section, um, and that is where you build the procedure in here, and then you call on it up there. So when you click play, it actually is going to do what it's doing here when you use P1. It's like a substitute for it. So it's a it's a variable basically is what you have going on there, um, and it's. And it's really cool, but it does get it does get difficult in a hurry, and um, can be a lot of you can have a lot of that frustration going on where you're frustrated, but then when you finally break through, it's like this great feeling uh, that Wait, comes did out. Did you say fun-stration? Fun-stration. Now, I, I can't take credit for it. Dorktastical yesterday, and I thought the word dorktastical was the best word I'd heard in a long time, but <laughs> fun-stration has got to take the cake. Where does that come from? Um, I'm gonna have to give credit to. Um, David Tess and James Eichmiller because they they I think were the first ones I heard that from when I attended their Google scripting workshop uh, which they also developed a, a Google scripts curriculum for students um, it was their Google Teacher Academy in um, Chicago cohort that was their action plan and they with some help um, designed a seven unit curriculum on using Google app script in spreadsheets um, and it was just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff that if you get a chance to check that out, um, I would suggest that I get a hold of them. Now, when you're working with students with Lightbot, you said, you know, it can be a little frustrating. What are the things that hang them up? What are, what are the pitfalls that we want to look for when we're assisting students using something like this? Sure. Well, there's a lot of different things that have to happen, and they have to happen in a sequence. You can't walk the Blightbot guy a few steps down and then decide what you want to do and walk him down again. Like you really have to think through what, what's going to happen. And one of the big things that it forces you to really be lean on your code is that you get to a point where if you try and put all the code into the main block without using the procedures, you can't fit it all. Like you have to figure out how to do it in as few steps as possible. And that's really where they get hung up because they get the hang of it after the first few. Then they, then they run into these procedures where, wait, I, I, I ran out. I don't have enough tools to do it. And so they have to really think about the variables and have to think about the loops. And it's a big challenge when they get to that point. Definitely. I've noticed the same thing with Codable. In fact, a lot of these leveled puzzle-style coding interactions kind of narrow the path as you go in order to... Um, you know, encourage students to write what I think is called more elegant code, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'd absolutely agree. Um, and that was something that, you know, when I referenced the, the David Tess and James Ike Miller workshop, I mean, that was something that we worked on as we went too. We kind of learned messy ways how to, how to do certain things, and then as we got more competent, we revisited those codes that we wrote from the first day of the workshop to try and rewrite them and make them leaner and use some of our new learning with variables and loops to make some of our ugly looking code look a little better. Um, especially when you're talking about collaboratively coding, somebody else has to be able to sift through what you've done and make sense of it. Um, so I think that is, wow, that, that is a great that thing to include. just like writing, Josh. <gasps> shocker! Shocker! No, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of great tie-ins there. You know, yesterday I was in a workshop and we were talking about um, Mitch Resnick's comment that coding is the new writing and I half sarcastically said you bet it is it's really important nobody feels prepared to teach it and everyone thinks someone else should be teaching it uh, <laughs> speaking of writing <laughs> can I actually okay so um, I've been working with some fourth graders so the fourth grade class that I pushed into on Friday I had actually been working with a few of the students for the last few weeks well, one of the kids I just got um, last Monday, well, just got, just started working with on Monday, um, and we went through the Angry Birds uh, game that's on the code.org page, and there's 20 levels in that. Well, he only got through five levels when he was with me, and he said, do I have to do this again tomorrow? I was like, yes, you have to get through all 20. He said, what if I do it at home? I said, if you bring me proof that you did it at home, then I'll let you move on to the next activity. I did not tell him what type of proof. So what did he do? <laughs> yes. Wow. 
So speaking of writing, if this were an assignment where you say you have to write down the steps that you took to get to the bird, to the pig, or anything like that, voila. I mean, the kids have the motivation to do it. Why not tap into that? Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. That is cool. <laughs> and he only got one wrong. Well, in his explanation, but he actually got it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I want to take a couple minutes and shift to one of the apps I'm really excited about right now, and all of you can't wait to get your hands on, but you'll have to because it actually isn't available. This is all about the T's. Um, the app I'm looking at today is called the Tickle app, <laughs> and right? Nice. And um, it is an app that they're a company that's part of the Imagine K-12 Startup Incubator cohort this year. And the promise of this app is it will actually allow you to build an app inside of the app, which I think is called Appception. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, sorry. Just <laughs> Jeff can edit that out, I guess. Um, but the... Uh, the reason I'm a big fan of it is because it allows me to control the Sphero robot using Blockly code. Now, can you guys see my iPad screen now? Yes. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So let me close this in the background. There we go. Now, the Tickle app uses block-based programming, which is really important for me because I start my kids off with Codable and Scratch Jr., which do a variant of block-based programming. And then I have them work with Hopscotch, which is very standard block-based script. And I eventually want them to work with uh, Scratch. And we also use Tinker. So there are a wide variety of tools that use this block-style programming now. So when I'm thinking about a continuum of programming for my students, I want to find things that look like the other things. Right? I have these kids for 45 minutes a week. I don't have time to teach them a new interface every time I want to teach them how to do something differently. But I think we're going to see more and more apps like this where the program itself looks like other programs. So when a student comes into it, they understand that the different colored blocks are organized underneath different families. And with this app here, since what I'm doing is I'm controlling this robot, there's only a certain number of commands I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a command that I want it to go at a certain speed in a certain direction, and I'm going to give it a command to change colors. Right now, this ro robot's telling me that it's almost out of power. It's flashing red, but it's been playing hard all weekend, so I don't blame it. But I don't really need it to, uh, to show you what I'm doing here. What you can see on this program on the screen is it, this sets the Sphero color to blue, sets the direction to 180, and the velocity here says 2, but I should actually change that to 0.2 because right now the way the program is written, the speed is between 0 and 1. So I think they're going to actually be making a change to that. And then it says wait one second. Now what that actually means is that it's going to follow this direction for one second. It's waiting and executing this command for one second before it goes on to the next command, which is to turn green, change your direction from 180, which is straight back, to 270, which is, what is that, 9 o'clock, I think? And it says set velocity to 6, so I would change that to, say, 0.6. Or just 6, there we go, 0.6. Um, and I was really delighted when my students started working with this app, they were immediately comfortable with it. And very soon, I had a student who actually was able to bring variables into this, and a random variable, where he set it up so that the direction was randomized. And the color was randomized. And that was really impressive because the, the guys from Tickle App, Mike and Sodas, uh, were both standing in the room when he was working on this. And they were going, wow, how did he do that? He did that? That works? So it was really interesting because actually the app developers were impressed by what the students were able to figure out how to do and that the tool would actually do that. 
the Tickle app will become available in beta by the hour of code. I don't know if the Sphero blocks are going to be in there yet, but I'm excited about this because it allows me, for example, if I have my second grade students doing an activity in Hopscotch where they're building polygons, they can take that understanding of angle measure rotation and the time you're spending moving and loops and transfer it into Tickle app and make the Sphero robots trace out geometric patterns. And I'm in conversation with the art teacher to try and figure out if we, these, are, these guys are waterproofs, so I'm like, what if we roll them through paint and then have them run geometric patterns on paper? So we're actually going to be hopefully doing that, and that's some STEM into STEAM integration right there. That's really cool. So here we are getting, we're, what, a month and a half out from the hour of code. I know that at my school site we're already excited about the hour of code because what we do is we plan a family coding event. So we take two hours on a Sunday and we invite families in and grandma and grandpa show up with the grandkids and they sit next to each other and they code on the iPad together. I'm wondering, what do you guys have planned for your schools? What are you thinking of doing for Hour of Code? Are you going to do it in classes? Are you getting non-traditionally, like, are you getting the non-tech teachers involved? What are you doing? Well, that is a good question. I just contacted the computer literacy teachers at the um, intermediate school, grades 5 and 6, and then the middle school, 7 and 8, in my school, kind of as a start, um, especially being at a new school and, and trying to kind of feel my way around in terms of how pushy to be. Um, I'm going to start with those two, but we'll definitely be dropping some lines by some of the other teachers. Um, and we'll definitely try and take some things on myself, probably as an after-school type role. Um, but I know for sure I'll have those two teachers doing something for the Hour of Code week, so it's a start. Excellent. Jeff, any, Herb, anything going on in your school system with Hour of Code? Uh, you know, we're just really getting into the coding piece. We're trying to roll that into the building, but definitely our business ed courses, our lab-based courses are going to be uh, participating, and we're, you know, in the near future here, we're going to be sitting down to figure out what exactly that looks like, but definitely classes that are lab-based, um, we're going to be implementing something. I just don't have a clear vision of what that is yet. Now, you may not know this. The Hour of Code tutorials, which are all web-based, will actually work in the browser on an iPad. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I was surprised that. by awesome. that. What we ended up doing last year, we had, one, we had two computer labs last year. This year, we only have one computer lab. And while we'll have some things happening on those computers, we ran, I think, 14 concurrent sessions last year. And we would take 24 seats in the room and we'd put 12 iPads in there. So everyone was pair programming. Mm. Nobody was working solo. We had uh, one room working with the Lego NXT robots. And okay. I am sure that these Sphero robots will have at least one room of their own, if not two, for the Hour of Code. Um, but we found that even if we said, like, okay, this room is going to do codable, and we put a teacher in there that kind of knew something about Codable and was able to get people started, that hour passes really quickly. And I think we actually may have even truncated it to 40 minutes because I think we fit three rotational sessions in two hours. So hmm. we, we ran it as like the Hour of Code family conference. That's really cool. That's a great idea. It, it was a very successful event, and we actually got people to RSVP for it, which is not a norm for our school, mm -hmm. and we got a very uh, robust response from our parent volunteers. Tara, do you guys have anything planned for Hour of Code yet? Um, so that Tuesday, I'll actually be in Lancaster for an elementary technology conference presenting on coding in the curriculum. Um, but when I get back, <laughs> I'm hoping to have this fourth grade class that I'm working with I'm hoping to have them be able to like kind of split off into groups and have a couple of students go into each class in our K through eight school to like lead a, a younger class in like coding activities for an hour. Oh, I like that idea. Having the right. kids go in and lead a, a class—that's really powerful stuff. 
Yeah, like the three that I've been working with, we presented it to their class on Friday, and everybody's like, I don't get this, I don't get this, and they're they're going around and they're having to speak in the right coding terms to say, this is how you do this, how about if you try this, without giving the answer away, which is just awesome. That's, that's a real skill, and I've worked with kids on that too. There was a really darling moment where one of my kindergarten students turned to me and says, Okay, I've helped a lot of people. Can I can I go back and code now? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you can. You rock. Um, but you know, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about students who may not be viewed as traditionally academically successful being very successful here and finding themselves in leadership situations uh, because of it. And what I see, I was reading um, the book Invent to Learn this summer. And they were talking a lot about learning in maker spaces and how when students discover something, they really own that knowledge. And when they've gotten knowledge previously by doing by viewing webcasts and screencasts, one of the first things they want to do is they want to share that knowledge by creating a screencast. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that kind of thing in the coding in my school a lot because I will purposefully show students, you know, 40% of an app and I'll leave out the best parts. Like when I showed my first grader Scratch Junior, I left out the audio record function. And then I hung back as they worked, and I saw one kid figure out the audio record function, and then I saw that kind of virally work its way around <laughs> the room, right? That's you know, it's, it's just really important to give kids the opportunity to build their own understanding, and then to own that and share it with others. I mean, that's where I think you get to get real transformational affect, where a student goes from not feeling successful and not being engaged to feeling really successful and being really engaged. One of the things we haven't talked about much, and maybe this is just my school, but I've noticed that assessment in coding is really easy. Um, because of fist pumps. You can just kind of, like, I, I could put in earplugs and I could tell who is being successful because, like, I get a lot of this and this. Yeah, is that, is that are, are just my kids overly expressive or have you guys seen things like that? Um, I would definitely say that when, when you've got the group in the right place, you'll definitely see some of that going on. Um, and also... The other part of it that makes it a little easier to assess is that if they didn't quite get the code to work right, their thing is not going to work. Like, it will not do what they want it to do, and they'll have to go back and work on it. And as we talked about earlier, I mean, that feedback, I mean, that's where the best, you know, that's where the teaching really lies in is the feedback. And coding is so good at giving that feedback because it's telling you, hey, this isn't working you need to fix something in here. And, you know, there might be a little bit of discovery. That might be our role to help them troubleshoot that a little bit. But those are such important skills um, that um, it, it really kind of assesses them as they go with that ongoing feedback. Um, we're very excited about the Hour of Code at our school. Uh, I know that in the lower and middle where they have computer classes, both of the computer instructors are going to be using some of the code.org curricula for that week and beyond. Um, in the upper school, I have eight library volunteers who are ninth grade leaders, and they help me from, you know, with everything from, you know, managing the catalog and the collection of books to adding augmented reality and creating screencasts and working with faculty and we're working on a genius bar. But with um, the Hour of Code coming up, I have four of them who really want to help with the Hour of Code uh, events. So we're going to have uh, some evening events. I love the idea of family, Sam, and I think I might actually steal that idea. Um, but they want to be part of that. And I can see on the Twitter chat that, that Jen was thinking the same thing about the, the coding club members being leaders in the instruction of maybe some, some of the younger students. And that's, I think, what we're, we're going to be having this year, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, maybe we should make that part of an upcoming show, like how to set up a family coding event. Because if mm. Jen's interested in it and you're interested in it, chances are there's at least one other person that's interested in it. And three is a, a pretty good audience size for us, isn't it, Jeff? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Late November, yes, we will. That's a great idea. Bradbury gets back to me and says, we are going to do that show in late November, how to set up your own family coding event. If you need to know more before late November, you can find me on the Twitter, at Sam Patui, or you can uh, go over to mypaperlessclassroom.com, and I think there's at least two posts on there for family coding. And I just did a makeover of my blog, finally, and I took my list of 800 tags and stripped them down to five so that now there are categories. So if you're looking nice. for something that I may have written at some point about programming, all you have to do is click on the word programming and you'll be able to find that. Um, so yeah, I feel like, I gotta tell you Herb, I feel like I finally like graduated and as my high school English teacher would say, I put on my big girl pants and got organized. Uh, yes, that's smart, that's good. Well, you know, tags are fun, but you gotta rein them in every once in a while. Well, and when I started blogging, I didn't know what I was doing at all. And, you know, <laughs> reviewing my blog really drove that home. I'm like, oh, look, I thought that was worthwhile to write about. Hmm, interesting. Um, but, you know, talking to people more and reading more blogs and doing more teaching and really forcing myself to get out of my own comfort zone more, I think, developed that a lot. And now I value what's on there more, and I want people to be able to find it. Yeah, oh. absolutely. That's cool. It might be nice to have a little section uh, post hour of code, you know, maybe five weeks from now or whatever. There, yeah. We talk about what, what we did do and how it worked out and how we would think about changing it or augmenting it for next year. Definitely. Ray Faring uh, ran a conversation last year uh, about after the hour of code. And I'll try to put a link to that in the chat box if I can find it. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. Well, I know that just, I know that we're getting close to the end here, but just in you guys talking about what you're planning to do and some of the ideas that have come across, I kind of sparked an idea. We have a code a robotics classroom, a course that's on our building. Uh, that's The foundation is on um, Lego robotics. And so my thought is that we'll kind of in-school field trip a bunch of classes and have different stations in the room where the students that are learning robotics will actually be able to work with kids from all over the building and teach them what's going on in their class and have them complete a small project together during each of the periods of day. So I think that might be pretty cool. I have confirmation. November 23rd, wait, is November 23rd the one right after Thanksgiving? It's the one right before. Right before. Okay, then that should be fine. November 23rd, we're going to talk about how to create your own family coding day for Hour of Code. That'll be awesome. Definitely. So I think that pretty much brings us to the end of this hour, although I feel like I could talk about programming for, say, the next month and a half. <laughs> Let's check back in with the chat and see if there's any unresolved... I no, doubt it. We covered like, probably all of <laughs> I mean, We covered all of the things. We're pretty excellent because, you know, we are professionals. Um, so we've got that going for us. I feel like very neglected left out, guys. You didn't talk to me at all. I'm the one that taught the second graders how to program at Hopscotch. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody that... said coding's so easy, even a puppet can teach it. Nobody said that. How are you doing today, Walker? Uh, I feel like a little neglected, Jeff. But I saw that 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 your your boy's moving. My boy is uh, moving pretty quickly at this point. Um, all you have to do is apparently put an eight hundred dollar device in front of him, and he will go forward towards it. That's Smart. amazing. So uh, one down, two more to go in the crawling department. <laughs> you want your kids to walk? We've got an app for that. Yes. <laughs> pretty much. Um, we had a great chat room i want to say thank you out there to everybody uh sam jen peggy shelly i saw brent come in you know who i didn't see today there was one noticeable person missing from our chat box Jen, where are you i i put a thing out on 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 twitter and and he just wasn't around so uh if everybody here who's listening live can please 
Uh, tweet him and say, where are you? What's up? And please remind him he has to get his priorities straight. That would be great. We, of course, have some great shows coming up. Um, uh, let's just go backwards here. November 23rd, Sam, we're going to be doing family coding. Uh, November 16th, we're going to be doing app development in the school districts with a great guest. We have uh, the, the company Chris Sharance coming on, and they make mobile apps for students and mobile apps for school districts. We're going to be talking to them about coding and app development and all that great stuff going on. And then next week, uh, we're going to be talking all about Apple. And we're going to be talking about all the neat little tools and tips and tricks that Yosemite has to offer. Many of you guys have upgraded to the new iOS 8. We've got some things to talk about there. And also Yosemite. So uh, we're going to be doing a big, huge uh, Apple Smackdown next week and talking about some of those great things. Um, Guys, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, Let's see. Let's go around here. Tara, where can we find you and where can we learn more about the great stuff you're doing? Um, You can follow me on Twitter um, my Twitter handle is Tech Teacher T, um, spelled Tech Teacher T. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm also on Google Plus as Tara Linney, which is who I am. Nice. Uh, Jeff, what's going on this week on Instructional Tech? Uh, really excited about this week. We're going to be recording an episode for Instructional Tech Talk uh, from the folks over at Leiden High School who's doing an awesome work in their Chromebook one-to-one. I had the pleasure of spending the day there on Thursday and uh, observe their TSI program, which is Technical Support. Um, I always forget the I, but I'll Check the episode, you'll hear about it. But it's all about how their kids are their first-line support for all the tech issues in their building. Mm. And considering they're all one-to-one Chromebook and all the teachers have uh, laptops as well, uh, that can add up pretty quickly. But I walked into their TSI room, and I'm not kidding. I saw two kids with the back of a Chromebook open, and one of them was soldering together a port on the motherboard that had come loose and they were saving that kid that broke their laptop about $180 nice. because they were able to replace the part for $2. That's wonderful. Awesome. It was so cool. And they have put together just a tremendous program where these students are not only first-line support, but when there aren't any tickets to help close, they're getting uh, Microsoft certification. They're getting A-plus certification. They're getting NetPlus uh, they are all over this stuff. So I'm ex- really excited to be able to share that information with everyone. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I was out last night at a friend's house, and he showed me a... I don't remember the exact name or the make of it, but it basically was the cross between a Chromebook and a tablet. Mm-hmm. And I want to call it a Chrome tablet, but that's not the official name. But it's really... This, you know, Google Chrome has taken off. And Is it a tablet? David Saunders, how are you doing, and what can we expect next in the next couple of days from you and your camp? Uh, that's great. Oh, uh, how does this, it feel? This week, we're going to be working on getting our robotics uh, event all set up, and um, and you can find me at Design Saunders nice. on Josh, uh, talk to us a little bit about what you're going on this week. I'm really excited about Saturday, heading down to... Buffalo Grove, Illinois, suburb of oh. Chicago for Ed Camp Chicago. I'm um, going to run into Tara down there, hopefully. And uh, just going to be a, a great time of, of learning with some of my Illinois friends and, and regional friends down there. Um, 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 so, Josh, super exciting. Josh, Josh, what's going on there? I don't, I don't want you to inter- embarrass yourself there. I'm from that state, and you have to realize that the word, as we pronounce it, Illinois, is actually French, so they prefer you to pronounce it Illinois. Yes, please. Illinois. <laughs> um, All right. We, we need Back to stop to the program, that. right? We have a breaking news here, guys. We, 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 we have to pause for one second. Craig Yen has re-entered the Twitter sphere. Is that a school carnival? Yes, Craig Yen is back on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. The world can continue spinning. I don't know if there's a correlation by the fact that he was off Twitter and the Eagles lost, but we'll see what happens. Of course, you I can try. Know what's happening in Buffalo Grove again? Because that's really close to me, and if it's something awesome, maybe I should. Show Ed Camp up. Chicago. Ed Camp Chicago oh, yeah, on Saturday. That's right. That's right. You got to go. I I I, I, I heard one it. of the sessions, Jeff, this week is run defense and pass blocking. Yes, I've heard that. The entire <laughs> Chicago Bear team will be there. <laughs> go Pats. thank you guys all for joining us you can check us out online at teachercast.net and of course check out all the great stuff that we have going on there this week
Well, my friends, that wraps up this week's episode of the Tech Educator Podcast. I want to thank again all of my co-hosts and my guests for joining us tonight. Don't forget the Tech Educator Podcast broadcast live each and every week on TeacherCast.tv at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And we can be heard on podcasting platforms all around, such as iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, MediaCore, and wherever else you may find educational podcasts today. There's, of course, many ways that you can check out and be a part of our show. Leave a voicemail at teachercast.net slash voicemail. Email us at feedback.teachercast.net. Follow us online at TeacherCast or at our Twitter, Tech Ed Show. And, of course, subscribe to this video and audio on teachercast.net slash iTunes and teachercast.net slash YouTube. Thank you again for allowing TeacherCast to be a part of your professional development network. And I hope you take a moment to share TeacherCast with your PLN today. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for taking the time to make TeacherCast your home for your professional development. Stick with us for the 30-second take podcast, episode number 15, featuring Brad Gustafson. Tonight he's got two amazing guests, and his new guest tonight is Wisconsin Superintendent Joe Sanfilippo. Until next time, keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.